As you're turning in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, let us pray together. Holy, holy, holy art thou, Lord God of hosts. The earth is full of your glory. Heavenly Father, sovereign Lord, gracious King, merciful Savior, we come into your presence assembled with a sense of awe, a sense of reverence, a sense of respect, and a sense of dignity as we trust that you'd be pleased once again to open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your word. May it be so for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're concluding today a series that we started four weeks ago entitled A Detectable Disciple. Study the life of Daniel from Daniel chapter 1, a young lad of 15 year age or so who was subjected to some wonderful brainwashing techniques by King Nebuchadnezzar. We've chosen this passage because it's really a very good description of how one can be a detectable disciple. In other words, how is it that you are recognized that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? A detectable disciple. Or as we might say in our vernacular, a Christian in an unchristian world. What Daniel went through is essentially what we are going through as a culture. Daniel went through a brainwashing process to remove his biblical heritage and replace it with a godless, atheistic, socialistic, heathenistic information. And so we can learn much from this young teenage lad. How did he respond to that environment? We have seen that there are two characteristics of a detectable disciple. The first one being an uncompromising spirit. We saw that Daniel drew the line where the scripture drew the line and did not compromise. He had an uncompromising spirit. Then we saw recently that he had an unhindered sanctification. We also saw that Daniel chose to make decisions that positioned himself to put on display his personal holiness as a follower of the true king, the one God, the Lord Jesus. And so we also began to look at the consequences of what I would call a detectable life. When you have a life of uncomparable, uncompromising spirit, and you have an unhindered sanctification, there are certain consequences that God is pleased to produce within us. We saw the first two of those last week, where we saw that he had an unashamed boldness in verse 8. He had the ability to speak without fear his convictions. And you notice in verse 9 what happened. God acted. Daniel purpose made up his mind in verse 8, and in verse 9 God acted and gave him an unearthly protection. That's what happens when you have an uncompromising spirit and an unhindered sanctification, you have the freedom, you're without fear, speaking the convictions you have biblically. And as a result of that, God gives you an unearthly protection. Daniel purposed in his mind, made up his mind, and God acted. Today, I want us to see the last three of the consequences of living a detectable lifestyle. That would be, Daniel had an uncommon standard in verse 12. He had an unequaled wisdom in verses 17 and 20. And then he also had an unusual impact, and we'll see that as I conclude this study on Daniel, a detectable disciple. What about the uncommon standard? Look at verse 12. He not only said no to the food, but he also took a stand on total abstinence from any of the food, just not the meat and the wine. Wine was a very common drink in those days, much more diluted than we have it today in our culture. But Daniel said no to any of the wine, just not the king's wine, which would have been the very best wine in the land. You see, he made it a matter of choice to live for God at a higher standard because it was probable that he knew the repercussions of Proverbs 31, verses 4 to 5, referring to the implications 
of strong drink. So rather than just going along with the crowd, he said, I'm going to take a higher standard. I'm going to live at a higher standard than what is normal. And so he abstained from all of the food that was offered and all of the wine that was offered from the king's table. So we can learn from Daniel, dearly beloved, that there are consequences to what we do. But the ones that are most pleasing to the Lord are the ones that are brought about by our not compromising his word, our trusting him for the results, and resting in his providential care. Now, if you want a summary of the book of Daniel, that's it. Not compromising his word, trusting in his results, and resting in his providential care. Now, if you learn anything in this four-week series, I trust you would remember that. That we, if we want to be a detectable disciple, we don't compromise his word, and you trust God for the results. Daniel did that. But you also rest in his providential care, as we'll see in a moment. So not only do we have an uncommon standard, an unearthly protection, and an unashamed boldness, but God gives us an unequaled wisdom to young Daniel. Let's take a look at that, verses 17. We're told in verse 17 that God did something very, very unique. Scripture says, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Now take a look at that and go down to verse 20. In verse 20 we're told that when compared to the other youths who did not live according to that high standard, Daniel and his three friends were found to be ten times wiser than all the other young youths who did not live according to the standard that Daniel did. But I want you to notice the reason in verse 20, verse 17 and 20. Notice, God gave them unequaled wisdom. Now, the word wisdom is a derivative of the Hebrew word, which literally means to act wisely. It covers the whole gamut of human experience. It relates to the prudence in secular affairs. He had the wisdom to know how to make decisions in this world system in which he was thrust. He also had the wisdom to know how to manage and participate in the arts. He had skill in the arts. He had the wisdom to act morally sensitive when needed. And he also had the wisdom to experience the things that God called him to do. You see, the wisdom that God gave them is totally different than the educational system of his time. And this wisdom is not found in human speculation or human education. It is something that God gives. He gives it to people who have an uncompromising spirit, an unhindered sanctification, an unashamed boldness, an unearthly protection, and an uncommon standard. And the next thing, the result of living a detectable lifestyle, is God gives you a wisdom that is far beyond the system of this world. We see that in Daniel's life. This wisdom is not found in man's speculations. You see, God alone can provide this wisdom. But he does that for our guidance so that you and I will take this wisdom and we will apply it in the prudence of our daily life experience and put his life on display so that people will see that you and I are detectable disciples. And this wisdom that we're talking about here, unequaled by human education, is the perfect blend of the revealed will of God with human experience and application. It's the blending of the revealed will of God and the ability to apply that revealed word of God in the daily activities of your life's issues. It's based upon the revealed principles in the scripture of right and wrong. It's to be lived out in our daily lives with practical application. Now, there are two kinds of educational philosophies in the history of the world. There's one known as the Greek system of education, 
and the other is known as the Hebrew system of education or the biblical system of education. To the Greeks, wisdom is defined by the accumulation of knowledge. In other words, the more you know, the wiser you are. Thus you have Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates, the great philosophers, because their theory was this. If you spend a lot of time and accumulate all this knowledge, you're going to be wiser than somebody else. Their definition of wisdom was the accumulation of knowledge. Now, that's essentially the educational system in the United States. That's why we have higher regard and higher salaries for somebody who has a master's degree as opposed to somebody who has a bachelor's degree. And somebody we hold higher regard, we think they're more smart, more wiser because they have a PhD as opposed to a master's. You see, our system is directly related to this Greek mindset that says that wisdom is the accumulation of knowledge. But that's not the Hebrew system or the biblical system. The biblical or Hebrew system is this. It is the application of knowledge that defines wisdom. Not the accumulation of wisdom, but the application of wisdom. Let's just take an example. Let's just hypothetically say that there are 100 things that would make a person absolutely, totally, completely wise. 100 issues in life and you knew them all. You would be the wisest person according to the Greeks. The Greeks would say this. If you knew 80 of those 100 issues that would make a person totally wise, you are wiser than a person who knows 70 out of those 100. But the Hebrew system would say this. If you knew 80 of those 100, the wiser person would be the one who could apply 70 of those 80. Because you see, to the Hebrew system, the biblical system of wisdom is this. It is not what you know, it's what you show. It's the application of wisdom. That's the unequaled wisdom that Daniel was given. It allowed him to make decisions with prudence in the daily issues of life, the skills of the arts, following the Lord's leadership, the daily activities of the issues of his life, because he had an unequaled wisdom that was given to him because he had an uncompromising spirit. He had an unhindered sanctification. He had an unashamed boldness. He had an unearthly protection. And he had an uncommon standard. And the result of that was God gave him an unequaled wisdom to know how to apply. That means this. The real issue when you hear a sermon is not what did you know, but what are you going to show? It means this. Every time you read the scripture, every time you read the Bible, you listen to a tape, you hear a message, there should be one common response for all of us, and that is this. What am I going to do about what I just learned? The last thing you want to ask is what does it mean to me? Because it doesn't make any difference what it means to you or me. Our opinion is irrelevant. The real issue is, I've learned something. What am I going to do about what I just learned? Because wisdom that is unequal to the system of this world is the application of biblical knowledge. It is not the accumulation of it. You see, it's the application that Daniel had. What am I going to do about what I just learned? Let me give you some biblical insights into this wisdom that is unequaled when compared to the system of this world. Notice verse 20. The phrase is wisdom of understanding. Now that's given not only to make one humbly and humanly wise, but also to lead one to fear the Lord, for as Job says in Job 28, 28, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Friends, if you want to have this unequaled wisdom, which is different than the system of this world, it all starts with your view of who God is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, the word fear there means to hold him in awe, respect, dignity, and reverence. Is that how you view God? 
When you come to worship, do you hold him in reverence, in dignity, respect, and a sense of awe? Or do you just refer to him as the master coach, the great pirate, the great penguin, the great stealer in the sky? How do you view God? You see, it is not the role of the church to bring God down to our level to help him understand. It is the role of the church to take people up to his level and develop reverence, respect, awe, and dignity. That's the role of the church. Not to bring him down and make him understandable, but take them up to his presence so they can develop this fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. True wisdom involves knowing the holy God, the God of biblical revelation, not the God of human imagination. See, God is holy all the time. All the time. God is holy. God is holy. All the time. God is holy. Is that your view of him? That's the beginning of your wisdom. You've got to have the right view of God if you're going to have the right sense of unequaled wisdom. Thus, we are told in Proverbs 2, 2, we are to listen to the wisdom of God with attentive ears. Listen with attentive ears. Now, the Reformed view of the pulpit and the Reformed view of the pastor is this. The one who exegetes the word of God is speaking the words of God. When you come in and see the pastor get up to preach a sermon, what are you thinking? Oh, the Steelers kick off at 1 o'clock from London. I wonder how long he's going to be. Or do you come in and say, I'm going to listen to him speak God's words because I have a reverence, a respect, a sense of dignity and awe for the person of who God is. A couple weeks ago, I was in a church and someone came up to me after and said, how come you always wear a suit and tie when you preach? We don't do that at our church. We're more casual. And I said, well, I do it out of respect, dignity, a sense of reverence and all for the position that I hold as the expositor of God's word. Well, that doesn't mean you have to wear a tie. You see, it's not about the person. It's about the position. What do you think of the pastor when he gets up to preach? Do you have attentive ears? Do you really want to listen? That you recognize this? That in his sovereignty, God is speaking through this person with all of his flaws and all of his failures? It's the position, you see, that is held in high regard. The position of the one who expounds the word of God. Listen with attentive ears. That's the wisdom that God gives us. It's unequaled by this world. We're told in Proverbs 3.13 that inner happiness only comes when one obtains this wisdom. Inner happiness only comes when you have the right view of God. But it also says that there's a strenuous effort and some work has to be done, which is really a search for God himself. You see, in seeking wisdom, you're really seeking who? You're seeking God, Proverbs 2, 4 and 5. Now, skeptics will never find this wisdom and will never know the full meaning of life, Proverbs 14, 6. You see, dearly beloved, the wisdom that God is pleased to give us is unequaled in this world. And it's designed to give us practical understanding of how to respond in such a way that we will influence the world around us because we are detectable disciples. The essence of godly wisdom the scripture teaches us is that before we begin to act or attempt to please God, we ought to discover what God has to say about certain issues. That's what Daniel did. Daniel went back to his scripture, the Mosaic Law, and said, what does God say about education? Well, there's some good things I might learn from this. I can accept some of that education. 
He said, what does God say about changing my name? No big deal about changing my name because you can't change my heart. But what does he say about eating the king's food and drinking the king's wine? Leviticus 11 says you can't do that, Daniel. So Daniel, you see, used the scripture, the Mosaic law, as a means of helping him make his decisions. As we've learned in our previous messages, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but I should not be mastered by anything. And all things are lawful, but not all things are edifying. You see, you use the scripture as Daniel did and sift it through there so you can make those decisions. And so you research those issues before you make your decision. What does the Lord say about this particular issue? Remember, there's a difference between his revealed will and his secret will. Go after the revealed and you'll discover the secret. And so those whose lives are really dating conform to the word and purposes of God will be given the ability to see things more clearly because of this unequaled wisdom that only God can give. And you take a look at Daniel's life in later chapters, you'll see the implications and numerous illustrations of this unequaled, unequaled wisdom being put on display by the way that Daniel made his decisions. Because he not only had an unashamed boldness, an unearthly protection, an uncommon standard, but he also had an unequaled wisdom that God gave him. And lastly, I want you to see the unusual impact as a result of living this type of a life. A life of an uncompromising spirit and unhindered sanctification. What's the implications of this in Daniel's life? We see the beginning of the impact of Daniel's life in chapter 2, verse 48. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 2 of the book of Daniel, verse 48. We find this. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Now the word wise men is the ancient word magi. The wise men or magi comes from the Greek word meaning magic who appear in Matthew chapter 2 are said to come from the east. Now that could be Arabia, Mesopotamia or elsewhere. They're portrayed as being astrologers since they were guided by the star in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Now we see this. Centuries before the appearance of the wise men, the magi, at the birth of the Lord Jesus, Daniel is put in charge of educating these non-Jewish religious astrologers who from astronomical observations inferred the birth of a king in Bethlehem. And after inquiring of the Jewish authorities... They came to Bethlehem to pay homage to a king. Now we know from history, the historian Herodotus, that the word magi describes a tribe of the Medes and Persians who had a priestly function in the Persian Empire of authenticating the birth of a king. Essentially, they were Persian king makers. Persian king makers. That was their job. One could not be crowned king unless these magi, these Persian kingmakers, showed up at the birth of the appointment, the inauguration of that person, and validated and authenticated the fact that they had the right lineage to be crowned king. Why did they show up at the birth of Jesus? They showed up to validate and authenticate his kingly rule and his kingly line. They paid homage to the fact that they authenticated him as a king. That's why they were there in Matthew chapter 2. But centuries before they arrived, notice what happened. Daniel was put in charge of the education of the magi, these royal 
Persian kingmakers. And what do you think he taught them? I don't think he taught them very much about the Baghdad Sandpipers or the Desert Soccer League. I think he taught them what the Mosaic Law taught them about a coming Messiah, the one who would rule, who would redeem all of mankind. And what we see here, dearly beloved, is this. Centuries later, we see the descendants of the Magi of Daniel's time appearing at the birth of King Jesus for one reason alone. That was to authenticate his lineage as the king of the world. And apparently Daniel's instructions of the birth of a king were passed on from one generation of Magi to the next generation of Magi to the next generation of Magi to the next generation of Magi until in God's sovereign providence and perfect timing there was a group of God-fearing, God-seeking magi, wise men who looked at the stars and understood. We learned this from our education, that there is going to be a king born in Jerusalem. We need to go there and move there and see that because it is our role as a Persian kingmaker to authenticate his kingly rule. And the wise men showed up at the birth of Christ. You see, one could not be crowned king unless... The Magi were there. So friends, do not think that your obedience will not have an impact. Your obedience will have an impact because obedience always changes things. Now granted, you and I might not see the impact of your obedience now. But in God's providence, he will use it for his glory. And using his impeccable timing, just as he did with young Daniel, your obedience will have an unusual impact. One of the great things I have the privilege of doing is teaching the Friday men's group. We've been meeting there for 17 years. Many of you men have been a part of that with me, for which I'm most grateful. But one of the most encouraging things that's been occurring the last year or so, especially during the summer, is we're seeing a grandfather bring a son, and the son brings his son. We're seeing three generations of young men come to be taught the scriptures on a Friday. That is really encouraging to me to see the young teenagers coming because you know what it means? It tells me this. I will never see the impact in their life because that's generations down the road. But something is happening. And I know this. In God's perfect timing and in his providence, there will be an unusual impact because of what's going on at the Friday men's group in the barn. Friends, do not ever think that your obedience will not have an impact. Obedience changes things. Oswald Chambers says this, the best measure of a spiritual life is not its ecstasies and experiences, but its obedience. And Charles Spurgeon wrote, faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God, and he that trusts God obeys God. You will have an unusual impact you may not see the results of it, but you know this, a sovereign God will always take your obedience and in his perfect timing will implement it for his glory. So in reality, dearly beloved, the best doers of the word are the best hearers of the word. That's what we see in the life of this young teenage boy, Daniel. Daniel had an eye for the knowledge of God's word, for him the Mosaic law. And that served him to direct the foot of his obedience. He had an uncompromising spirit, an unhindered sanctification, God gave him an unashamed boldness, an unearthly protection, an uncommon standard, unequaled wisdom, and an unusual impact in the history of the world. 
Oh, to be like Daniel, we could be a detectable disciple. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful life of this young lad. One thing we can say, Father, is we don't expect enough of our teenagers. Oftentimes we think we should entertain them in the church rather than training them in the church. So, Father, we may use Daniel as an example of what it means to be a Christian in an unchristian world. That we can respond because of the unequaled wisdom and the unusual impact that you will cause in us because of your grace. And may it be so that Christ Church at Grove Farm will be known as a house of detectable disciples for your glory. Amen.